So this morning's class is entitled, uh, well, it's class number four on stewardship, and it's entitled The Economics of Today, Spending and Budgeting. Now, last week, if you remember, we focused on money and what we give and how we give. Today, we'll be thinking about money and how we spend. But before we get into our material for this morning, just a, a question for you. How should the gospel change how we spend our money? Or does the gospel change how we spend our money? Um, now, when you answer, as you think about this, think about both the outcome and the motive, the motivation for how we spend. So give me an example of um, a change in maybe the believer's uh, financial life and how the gospel informs uh, if you think it does inform and affect it, if you think it doesn't. Uh, so let me, let me hear from you. How does the gospel, do you think the gospel does inform how we spend our money and how do you think it does? Motivation and outcome. Hey, Kyle, and then we'll go back to... <laughs> go ahead, Kyle. Um, I think in one way it, it, it shapes it and informs it is uh, through priorities he's spending. someone who has a family where uh, the order should not be everything for me first and then my family second, yeah. but how the gospel um, would shape uh, who, who I serve, you know, what my obligations are. Yeah. Well, oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah, so even starting at, in your home life, it's in your own heart at home, how the gospel affects that. Yep. good yeah so having a uh, an eye to the fact that uh, we are headed somewhere our true home um, and even now what we do we're storing up treasure uh, for then and enjoyment for then so having that in mind as we have our sort of dealings with men and money here having an eye to heaven yeah that's good that's good anything else come to mind how the gospel affects our finances I think being truly converted changes everything. Yeah. I can think over 40 years ago, all I thought about was myself. And after that massive change that our life is suddenly not lived for ourselves, right. it's lived for God, it's lived for our Lord. So everything that we look at, we look at with different eyes, mm. with a different heart, yeah. with a different mind. So as we're doing that, suddenly we're, we've taken the eye out of it. I always love to say with some middle letter of sin, it's I. And that's gone. Now we're looking to the Lord and to how to please him and to live our, our lives before him. Yeah. So pleasing the Roman. Yeah, amen. Yeah, you think about Colossians 3, now Ephesians, this sort of put off, put on. Um, the believer has a different perspective. One of the things that um, even the fruit of the spirit is self-control, is a basic Christian uh, principle and fruit, which does inform and affect everything, uh, how we talk, how we spend, everything. So yeah, that's a good point. I had one more point. I think too, just being a Christian makes you more accountable hmm. in the sense that you don't live beyond your means, what you try not to, you don't like unnecessary debt, you know, that's not, you know, like a mortgage, okay, because, right. you know, that's building equity. Yeah. But, you know, um, you, you know, I have friends that have very large uh, credit card debts. Um, and they feel like they have to because they're, hmm. that's the lifestyle that they need. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Yep. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Say the one more of how the gospel motivates 
uh, I know this is a passage we've looked at, but as Paul's exhorting the Corinthian believers there to the giving of um, and using the Macedonians as an example. Oh, right. Right? Yeah. He talks about the reality of the, the physical needs that they have and the mm-hmm. giving, and he uses the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so right. that you by his poverty might become rich. So he takes that spiritual reality and he applies it to this very practical need and seeks to motivate them through what Christ has done for them. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, you know, we, we don't want to keep it in the, um, just the ethereal realm, like, oh, this is what Christ did for me, and right. I'm thankful for that, but it doesn't have any impact on how I think about uh, living, for example. And so I think Paul is inspired to motivate the Corinthians right. in that way by pointing to the example of Jesus and the gospel primarily, and yeah. not be a motivator for them to contribute to the needs of the saints. Yeah, yeah, amen. Yeah. Uh, that's good. Thanks, bro. So those are all good examples, and a couple of those we'll talk about specifically this morning. But in in many ways, those answers um, are our sort of goal of this class, to sort of think through that a little bit more. We want to understand how our use of money should be looked at differently because of the gospel. Now, I think that Proverbs 30, verse 8 to 9, does a good job of sort of um, summarizing this scriptural principle um, when it comes down to our approach to money. In Proverbs 30, verse 8 to 9, it says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So what's interesting here is at the core of both of these, this, this prayer, uh, at the core of the prayer, um, um, not to uh, be uh, rich or too full is, I don't want to say who is the Lord. I want to forget the Lord. Um, the core of the prayer, the request to not be poor is, I don't want to steal and then profane the name of God. So his, the motivation behind each perspectives on that prayer is God. I don't want to forget the Lord. I need the Lord. It's, need, it's, it's good for me to remember him. I don't want to steal and profane the name of the Lord. So even you see in that prayer, the motivation to Ben is not just um, good financial stewardship. It's actually God. And so he says, give me neither poverty nor wealth. Now, scripture seems to be um, maybe indifferent toward the, mor- the moral value of money itself, the, the, the paper, the exchange. Uh, peace. Um, it can be used for good in this life to do all types of great things for the glory of God, of course, for the good of the church, for the good of our neighbors. Um, and yet, as Paul writes to, Tim- to Timothy, the, he says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that's in 1 Timothy 6.10. So m- money is this wonderful tool, of course, that we can use, but it's a terrible slave master if we become enslaved to it. Right? So Today we want to figure out how to master money rather than the other way around. And we'll start by looking at some principles from the, the last few weeks. Then we'll discuss spending with a focus on God calling each of us to a certain lifestyle and thinking through that a little bit. And then we'll cap that off with a discussion on budgeting and then finish by thinking about stewardship as a church. So I'm going to try to fit all that in today. Uh, and if I don't, it's, it's fine. Um, so first, a few basic principles. One, uh, everything you have, everything we have, belongs to God. Now, this is more than just money, of course. I think that many of our uh, maybe problems as Christians is that we think about money in isolation from the rest of the things that the Lord gives us to steward. As Forrest said earlier, when we become a Christian, everything changes. And so even our view of money changes. Uh, Second principle, God has made you to steward all of uh, your life and all that you have well. And you'll be called, all of us, to give an account for how we steward the things that we steward. Um, And there are uh, many ways that we can act out or live out the stewardship um, in this world that we live in. 
But we all have the same goal uh, to make the most of every opportunity we have to glorify God. So all the things that he gives us, our car, um, our, our house, our money, our children, um, relationships we have, all of these things are given for us to be good stewards of them. So if we're looking at it like that, um, I'm going to give an account to God for how I steward this relationship, then it does give us, a, a, I think, a better perspective. Now, principle three, hoarding is spiritually damaging and practically unwise. Isn't there a show on like some channel like hoarders or hoarding stuff or something like that? Um, I think that the, the issue with hoarders and I know this show has like excessive hoarders. I think the issue there is not just a physical financial issue. It's a heart problem. Um, and but we'll talk about that a little bit. But it is a, it's, it's practically unwise. And as Kyle mentioned last week, uh, God's given us a certain amount of money, a certain amount of resources. Um, and we do have to give thought to how we spend those things, how we give those things. Uh, some of you have the opportunity and you may have the opportunity in the future to be able to, to, to save money. Um, but uh, th that might be as simple as a savings account or as complex as money invested into a business. But the rest of you can uh, give away all types of things for all types of useful purposes. Uh, keeping money and possessions you don't need for the sole purpose of spending it on ourselves. Um, I mean, Jesus says you can't serve two masters, God and, and money. Um, or God in anything, really. Um, and so the point is not necessarily to, to um, for us to, and we'll talk about this as well, to sort of judgmentally check one another and say, well, you're driving this, or you came to church with the new tie, and that's not the tie you wore last week. We don't want to get into that. That's not helpful. <laughs> it's not useful. It's not, um, it's not a good way to have fellowship with, with one another. But we do want to give some thought to how we uh, steward the things we, we have. I remember John Piper saying that um, God gives us money. I think this is the saying. God gives us money to show the world that money is not our God, but God is. And so what does it look like to do that practically, to show the world? I'm not ruled by this, this money or these things. Uh, principle four, um, and this is sort of a repeat from last week. And the answer to the question, how much should we give? The answer was that we should give generously, we should give wisely and easily as we strive to glorify God with this, with his loaned resources. Okay, so transitioning to, um, in your handout there, you'll see that next section is, how should I spend? How should I spend? Now, how much money does a wise steward spend on himself. Another way to answer that is how much can you afford not to spend on yourself? Right? Now imagine for a moment that you uh, entrusted your retirement money to a financial manager and he took a cut of your money to cover his own expenses, right? When you have a financial advisor, there's usually some expense that they, that they have. Let's say a year later, you discover that um, all the money that you invested is gone. And his cut was actually 100%, right? So he took all the money that you gave to him to, to invest. What would be your reaction? Right? You, you'd feel some way. <laughs> you'd be upset, you'd be mad, you, you'd fire him, you probably want to take him to court or something. Now, um, that wasn't why you gave that person the money. You were so, they were supposed to invest it for you, not spend all of it on themselves. But in that same way, when we think about our Christian resources, if we are spending everything we have just on us, it does say something about um, our ideas about God who has given us these things on loan, really. He's given them to us for us to be um, resourceful, to be wise, and to use them for his glory. Um, so how much should you spend as God's investment manager? We can put it that way. Um, well, as much as you need to, um, maybe, right? No. <laughs> That's how Proverbs 30 answers the question. Uh, feed me with food that is needful for me. Um, not everything that I can eat, but what's needful for me. Uh, 
But even that can be a challenging question to answer. And the question becomes, well, what is need? Is the need to not starve or is the need, you know, it's been a really long week. I need to have this dinner at season 52. And that might be the case. <laughs> we can talk about that. But that, that becomes the question. It's what is this need and how do you uh, d determine need? So let me reframe the question this way. Um, what lifestyle has God called me to? I think that's a better way to think through it. So I think our tendency is often to answer the what do I need question um, in a much more shallow way. Do I need the Big Mac or the dollar menu burger? Um, but that doesn't really provide us with much of a framework for decision making long term if we sort of keep it in superficial things. Instead, I think we're better off starting at the top level and working our way down. Another question we can ask ourselves is what lifestyle has God called me to? So the lifestyle question. Um, and that question then answers the how much do I need, which in turn allows us to figure out how much should I spend. Now, by lifestyle, I mean the spending habits that you become accustomed to. Spending habits that you become accustomed to. So where we live, what we drive, how we dress, how we vacation, how we eat, and things like that. What are the spending habits that you have become accustomed to? And to sort of translate back, our lifestyle determines what our needs are. So um, if you buy a house, then you need to pay the mortgage of that house, right? You don't want to, I mean, for your own sake, so you don't get evicted, to be a good steward of what God has given you and to provide a shelter for your family. So you need to pay that mortgage. Um, if you decide that you're going to be the kind of family who takes out-of-town vacations, those are good for you, then you need, to, you need transportation to be able to do that. Right? So lifestyles determine needs. But it's the lifestyle question that we should think through and even challenge ourselves on to better help determine what those needs are. So, <coughs> excuse me. So there's two dangers we need to be aware of as we frame the question in terms of lifestyle. Danger one is this. Our lifestyle determines a set of needs um, that exceed our income. And someone said this earlier, maybe it was Sabrina. If we have a lifestyle that determines a set of needs that exceeds our income. So this is somewhat of a, I mean, it's a worldwide problem, but you see this in Americanism often. Um, I can almost guarantee, with the exception of uh, unusual or temporary circumstances, like a uh, time of unemployment or something like that, that God is not calling us to a lifestyle that requires an income greater than what he provides. He's not calling us to a lifestyle that um, requires uh, more than what he actually provides for us. So if you can't support your most basic obligations, he may be calling you to look for a job that pays better, but he is not calling you to a lifestyle that costs more than you make. I think that's a stewardship um, you know, concern. So if you buy a boat, um, let's just say, and you can't afford a boat, and you say, but I really want a boat. And your good brother or sister says, but you can't afford a boat. And you say, but I really want a boat. You don't need the boat. <laughs> it shouldn't be a back and forth conversation. Um, you have to think through, is this something that um, the Lord has given me the means to be able to have comfortably without um, mismanaging or failing to provide for the basic needs of myself or my family? Right? That's a good question and consideration. Um, so God is not calling uh, you to need more than you make. If you feel your needs exceed your income, then you should make it a point maybe to talk to a trusted and wise Christian friend or a financial counselor. Okay, so that's danger number one. Danger number two, which is that our needs um, are uh, exorbitantly rise above, um, or th rather they rise with our income. So um, I ran across some interesting research um, on this a few, um, as I was actually doing this, um, this study, or I, I looked it up as I was doing the study. Um, it's interesting that according to Charles T. Um, Clot Fettler, I think his name is, 
in his article on federal tax policy and charitable giving, he said that if you look across the American public, um, the group that is the most gener generous with charitable giving is the very wealthy, and that I guess makes sense. They have more that they they have more than they need. But the next most generous isn't the middle class; it's actually the working poor. So this is a study that he did and found that the upper class and the working poor were the most generous. And that's really interesting. Um, and apparently, as one moves from poor to middle class, perceived needs actually rise faster than income and people become less generous, was sort of his conclusion. So the difference between the poor and the middle class isn't so much that the middle class thinks of themselves as more stingy as the poor, and, and the poor is more generous, but both groups think of themselves as being as generous as possible. So the difference is what is perceived as a need. So to one group, a second car um, and, uh, and cable TV is a luxury, and to another, it's a need. And so that's a very um, interesting to observe how we perceive those things with our income, with our lifestyles. And you can sort of see that um, when our, our needs are rising with our income, um, then we feel like, well, we, we've made a little more, therefore we should um, buy higher end. And I'm trying to talk about this without sounding legalistic. I don't want y'all to leave and say, well, he said I can't you know, buy a leather jacket. I don't care if you buy a leather jacket. <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying to communicate the principle of being watchful that we're not assuming we need more because God has given us uh, the resources to get more. But maybe think about it in terms of um, how to steward that for the glory of God by giving instead of just spending on ourselves. Okay. Um, so I've, I've heard of companies with people who make three or $400,000 a year, and still the lunchtime conversation is always about how tight money is. And I'm sure you've, you've heard that too. Because when you add up what we feel is necessary given their situation, the car that looks respectable um, in the company lot or the place of entertainment in the Hamptons, this huge house, needs have risen to an astonishing level. So your lifestyle largely consists of what you consider to be necessities, but the key is to realize that what you consider necessary is actually highly subjective. So what lifestyle is God calling us to? So to summarize these two dangers, lifestyle should not be more than income, uh, but increases in income shouldn't necessarily translate into increases in lifestyle, if that makes sense. So any thoughts on that before we, before we move forward? Have you seen that where um, with the rise of income, um, it's assumed that more has to be purchased? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I wish I really understood that more when I was younger. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. You assume that. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle. It's interesting. There was a book. Um, I think it was like the Millionaire Next Door or something hmm. like that. It basically talked about how most people in the middle class have this picture where. Um, trying to communicate with their money uh, uh, like who they are, they're important, right? So I'm a lawyer, I gotta drive a Porsche, I gotta have, you know, X, Y, and Z, and like some of this kind of stuff. Right. Whereas they said a lot of people, a lot of the people who do become millionaires aren't these people with the flashy things, but it's the people who live well, be, well below their means and, uh, and end up able to save and, and, and do other things. Yeah. But yeah, when you just think about how those things kind of tie together normally is my income rises and you know then it's like well how can I go and push the limits of right. you know, lifestyle and you know nice things and things of that nature yeah it almost becomes just a suit yeah yeah it's, it's um, a default yeah, yeah how can I spend it on myself <clears throat> right right yep yeah that's good 
that's good. So let's try and answer the question, this question for ourselves. How do we choose a lifestyle? <clears throat> now, occasionally, God will speak supernaturally on the lifestyle we should have, right? He tells John the Baptist, go live in the desert and eat grasshoppers and honey. Um, but that's not normative, right? Maybe that will make it a lot easier if God just said, hey, go do this. But he generally operates through wisdom, right? The application of knowledge. But for most of us, again, this callings, our callings don't, don't come that way. Um, and, all that we, and, and, and all that we have, uh, we want to keep the goal clear in our minds. To use every gift, every opportunity, every relationship, every dollar we have to proclaim the goodness of God with every minute he gives us on this earth. So you have kids, uh, spend your money to provide for them. Uh, you, go, you, you enjoy cycling. Um, it might be a good use of your money to buy a bike so that you can refresh yourself and enjoy what God has uh, created and given you. Um, after all, 1 Timothy 1 uh, says, uh, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So even the Bible doesn't have this sort of, um, how we usually think of this sort of stoic um, idea about the use and the enjoyment of things that God gives. Um, God Bible clearly says he gives us all good things to enjoy. He richly provides us with things to enjoy. So God is not after our sort of false piety and stoicism that says, you know, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. But I'm a good Christian, so I'm going to do just I'm not going to do anything. Sort of how we view Puritans or that. And that's not even a right representation of them. But we sort of have that that view. But that's not what the Bible says. It's after stewardship more than more than that. Um, your goal is to be determined or to determine what lifestyle will make the most of your life on this planet for God's glory. So is it a lifestyle of penny pinching uh, so that you can live a strategic, in, a, in a strategic place? A life uh, with long hours at work but plenty of money? Is it a life of substance? Is it a life of generosity? Um, is it a comfortable life uh, in, in America? Um, is it a life in a developing world? How do we sort of figure all of that out? So some, some principles here. So one, a lifestyle is often defined in big pieces, but can slide incrementally over time. So once you figured out where you're going to live, let's say, you've probably defined most of your spending because um, it comes with uh, the, the choice of the, the home that, that you want to get, whether you need a car or a second car, education for your kids, and so on. So take that decision seriously, but recognize that the upward pressure on your lifestyle as your income grows will come through in small things. And while that might not add to a lot of, uh, a lot of money, it might be significant spiritually. So my advice um, is to, to budget and to um, budget in a way that is um, not anticipating um, something to come necessarily. I don't think we should budget in a way that says, well, I'm planning to get a job that pays this certain amount you know, in the next six months and we plan our budget off of that. But we should plan our budget off of what God has currently given us. Um, principle two, time and money are interchangeable. And I think this is important. How do you take time that God has given you and turn it into money? All right, so let me just, I'll just throw that out first. I'm just curious to see how y'all are thinking through that. How do you take time that God has given you and turn it into money? And how do you turn money into time? Ask it that way too. Kyle? Of like you're using time to make money, like some kind of work or something like that. Yeah, that's a so <clears throat> using time to how do you trade off time even to be able to uh, be more resourceful with, with your money? Um, so for instance, I like to this is just me, um, I, I like to if I can go on YouTube to find a video how to do something, and I feel like it's within my resource wheel. Um, I like to do that because it, it's a trade-off, right? So I could, um, 
I could save some money by maybe doing this thing on my car myself um, rather than paying someone. On the flip side, there are things that I know I can't and shouldn't do around my house. So I could spend six hours trying to fix something that to somebody else is like, that takes like 10 seconds to do. And I'm trying to fix it and prove I'm a good husband working man. <laughs> and I waste six hours of my day, not spending time with my wife, haven't seen my kids, but I can just pay someone to come in and do that. So there's a trade-off there for money and time. Um, and I don't think I'm u unique in that. I've talked to other people, uh, other of you guys, and you've done stuff like that too. But you're trying to think through um, that trade-off and how you can um, make your money useful and your time useful. <clears throat> um, you can build into relationships with money by, let's say, buying flowers for your, your wife. Or you can trade off relationships with money by working that second shift instead of spending the time with, let's say, your roommates or family. But these are, are trade-offs. Um, much of your lifestyle choice will involve determining where your limiting factors are. Um, money, time, relationships, and then turning one into another. So some luxuries that godly men and women purchase, a house cleaner, for example, or a nice vacation, fall into this category, turning money into time and relationships. Um, so, I don't know, just another example. This isn't hard and fast, but just another example. Um, some of us have maybe a schedule, or we could change our schedule and have a certain time, certain time off and be able to spend that shift that we would have been working with a friend or a family member. Um, and so in that, there's an exchange of uh, money and pay for giving and serving and spending time with someone. Right? That doesn't look the same for everybody. Everybody doesn't have the same schedule or the same capacity or there are a lot of different factors that contribute to that. But it's just thinking through what are some areas in my life where I might be able to um, adjust some things to serve in this way or, or, or serve in that way. Okay, so um, third point. Flexibility is a virtue. James 4, uh, 13 to 17 tells us not to presume the future, um, but rather say, Lord willing. Don't presume that God will do in the future exactly as he has done in the past. Uh, so don't construct a lifestyle that would keep you from being able to make, to take a lower paying job or move overseas as a missionary or shift to a single income if God should make good opportunities available to you in the future. So again, just a stewardship principle. Um, principle four, keep the long view in mind. A lifetime of faithfulness is the goal, not just faithfulness in this coming year. And so if you're able, a lifestyle where you can thrive and not just survive will probably enable more fruitfulness in the long term. Now, I think that for those um, of us with, with families, this is especially important, uh, an important question to consider. Uh, you may be thriving on a certain lifestyle, but is it the best uh, lifestyle for your family? Um, is it the best lifestyle for a long-term sort of, um, can you sub substantiate that lifestyle long-term? Um, you can spoil the future both by underspending, say making your family resent you or teaching your children to be stingy or by overspending um, maybe by spoiling your children um, or building a taste for luxury that you can't sustain right, so both of those are are dangerous uh, principle five uh, consider the weaker brother <clears throat> you do have um, freedom of course in christ um, of where you invest where you live what you drive but some choices will lead others into temptation more than others, uh, more than other choices you make. So this is what I mean. If you are, if I was a, a pastor in, a, in an area where, um, let's say it's a, I don't know, a much, much different area where there's, there, there's a lot of poverty. Let's say I'm in a country where there is ab abnormal poverty and I'm a pastor, and I have the means, let's say from, I don't know, a family inheritance to buy a, a Lamborghini. Um, it's probably not wise to buy a Lamborghini and drive it through the neighborhoods to go to my church to, to preach. 
I have the liberty to do that, but it's probably very unwise. Um, not only, and I don't want to say, well, just care about what men say, but I think there's wisdom in giving thought to how does this, what does this say about maybe my own stewardship or lack of stewardship? But I think those are things that we should be willing to give thought to without saying, well, that's being legalistic. Um, you can be legalistic, um, and there is, that's a wrong way to think about that, but you can also just give thought to some of these, these things, um, purchases and, and other things. Now, that's an extreme example, but there are other things that we can give thought to that are maybe not so extreme. Um, <clears throat> again, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Uh, principle six, consider which opportunities seem unique to you. So in God determining even the lifestyles that he has predestined for each of us, consider ways that you can serve and give of your time and gifts in a unique way, either because of your season of life or time or abilities. Uh, in other words, if you find yourself in a season of life where you're freer um, because of the job you work, which allows you a uniquely flexible schedule, um, you may be able to visit a shut-in for lunch um, when the average person wouldn't be able to. Um, maybe you can spend time with an individual from church or a family member when others might not be able to. So there's a principle there of um, seeing that, how God has orchestrated your life and time to be able to serve one another. Okay. Moving to the um, next uh, subject on, on your sheet there, managing to a budget, managing to a budget. <clears throat> so we've thought through lifestyle and one that probably doesn't change as our income rises over time, but what's the best way to manage your lifestyle? It's most likely a budget. Now we often think about a budget as a financial tool, something to make sure your checks don't bounce, but there are other aspects to consider when it comes down to a budget. A budget can also be seen as con a, a contentedness tool. So, um, and it's, a, it's also a communication tool, a contentedness tool and a communication tool. And it's wise if you're single and critical if you're married to, to budget. So 1 Timothy 6, um, 5 to 10 tells us that if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So your budget can safeguard your, your contentedness and protect you from these types of ruins and destruction. So, how is budget, a budget, a helpful tool for contentedness? That's a question I'm gonna throw out. Um, how would you maybe say a budget is a helpful tool to practice being content? Brian? Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, so self-awareness of what we're spending, that think helps with being content, right? Just being watchful of your own heart, desires, and spending. Yep, that's good. Okay. think that those are <clears throat> in my mind very closely tied because if you are mindful of what you're spending so there's a micro and there's a macro right even planning the budget for the year for clothing is being mindful of what you're spending 
you're just doing it sort of from a you know a wide wide lens and then even those day to day so I think both of those are useful and even necessary um, Kyle you had a hand head up yeah I think too uh, by doing a budget it allows you to be strategic yeah. versus reactionary yeah right where like sometimes you don't even know what you're spending right until you actually look at it and you're like whoa man <laughs> yeah I spent so much on whatever right, right. Versus like taking that into account and saying like what's fair, like you said, what's fair, what's reasonable, you know, and uh, what what allows us to do the things that we want to do from a giving perspective, from a saving mm. perspective, like it allows us to get like the whole picture, you know, right. and say, like what seems reasonable for us. Right. Yeah, that's good. Yep. So different ways that budgeting helps with contentedness, and we can think about these things in separate categories and think, well. Budgeting and giving thought to those things, um, long-term, short-term, that's not really useful. Um, you know, that's, that there's no spiritual you know, implications in that, but I would say that there is, um, and uh, there, there definitely can be. And I think it is wise to give thought to budget and spending. So um, contentedness uh, or budgeting as a contentedness tool, I think it helps to restrain overspending, which you just mentioned. Um, I think that uh, it's the first thing, it should be maybe the first thing that we, we think of. It helps to protect you from false guilt or anxiety when you spend money. Um, uh, the, 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 the things that we do, the things that we plan for um, long term, um, when we do have, I think this is maybe your point, Sabrina, um, when we have budgeted it and set it, set, aside, set it aside, when we do say, well, let's stop for what can seem like a random, you know, place to get ice cream. If we budget it for that, it doesn't feel like, you know, we're dipping into something we maybe haven't budgeted for and it causes this anxiety and, you know, all the other stuff. But it does help, so the uh, macro and um, micro. Um, <clears throat> so God's provision for us, much more than being a magical check that comes exactly when you need it, which has happened. <laughs> um, I think we've all had those experiences where the money just comes right in when we need it, and we know the Lord provides that too. But more often, I think the Lord provides through uh, wisdom and, and budgeting. Um, we shouldn't live looking for the magical checks, but the Lord has given us wisdom and, and resources. Um, our, my brother, to, to your, maybe it's you or Kyle, to your point, um, my brother came down um, from Texas and he booked this flight with, I think, Spirit or Frontier. And uh, he missed his first flight, and um, he had to catch a later, a later flight. And if you've ever flown Spirit, don't. <laughs> it's terrible. But they hit him with this fee, this ridiculous fee. And he told me, I was like, man, I'd have probably had to cancel this trip. <laughs> but he was like, but it was fine because we budgeted for it. He was like, bro, that just helped me so much to know that I had the money set aside for this. And his vacation was changed. He was arrested. He was able to enjoy the time, even though Spirit slapped him with that fee, because he budgeted for it. So that was just a really practical example recently that, where I, I saw this sort of at work. But so budget, budgeting is a contentedness tool, and it's also a communication tool. So it makes financial conversations strategic and proactive when you're putting your budget together rather than um, constraint-driven or reactive, to your point, Kyle, like when the husband comes home with a new toy and the wife flips out, or the wife goes um, to get a mani-pedi. I said mani-pedi. Is that right? Mani-pedi? Yeah. I know. And the husband flips out because she does that. Um, so those conversations can turn into confrontations when we haven't talked through those things, even little things like that. Um, so it helps to protect against also judging each other and judging our spouses. So um, an example, your wife buys Skippy instead of the generic peanut butter. And you say, this is ungodly. We don't need Skippy. We can just go and buy the generic peanut butter. And you're all upset as a husband. Um, and you say to yourself, well, doesn't she know that we can spend our money on better things and that that, 50, that 15 cents makes a huge difference? Right, so we're saying stick to the grocery list. This is what we set aside. If we've had the budget conversation, we can relax and say, it's okay. Splurge on the Skippy. We budgeted for it. 
right? So those conversations help, um, and it can prevent confrontation in relationships later on. Um, how much time do I have? Okay. So the next section is stewardship as a community project. <clears throat> so those are some thoughts on how to budget, um, which I hope helps us to think through that in a strategic and proactive way and as a normal part of life. Now, we're willing to be open, a <clears throat> wrong spot, but as we've um, gone along, you've probably noticed how complex or challenging many of these decisions can be. So uh, before we finish this together, we wanna um, talk about one last thing, which is this sort of budgeting as a community, the decisions we make. Now, we've considered the opportunity as a church to make um, conversations about how we spend our money, uh, a more practical part of our daily living. And we're willing to be open about those struggles with anger, food, and pride. But often when it comes down to money and budgeting, that's not something that is a part of our fellowship conversation, right? So it's almost taboo to talk about money and budgeting with friends and family. And if that's the case, then this whole class is <laughs> taboo. But I think it's good, and I think it's necessary for the Christian to give thought to these things. As believers, we have a different perspective, and we can come alongside each other and hold each other accountable in different ways. Um, now, one of the dangers in the conversations that we want to have with one another, if we do, about budgeting is the danger of judging one another. So we can be quick to judge the financial decisions of others. We can be self-centered and often assume that everyone else has uh, the wrong reasoning for why they're doing what they're doing or the wrong motivations or they're making a decision and that's not the circumstance that they should be making that decision in. And we could be quick to um, ju jump to judgments about one another in these conversations. And that's what we wanna try to avoid. We wanna be able to have a conversation with one another, um, one out of um, just in Christian maturity and wisdom and patience and not being afraid to um, come alongside a brother or sister, not simply because they're wearing a new tie to church, but as you have relationships with people, being willing to have a conversation. If you, after prayer, counsel, wisdom, you feel this would be good for me to come alongside this brother. That should be happening as well. Um, <clears throat> so don't assume motives when we wanna have these conversations with, with one another. Um, husband and wives, friendships, we don't wanna assume each other's motives. When someone does something that you don't understand, let's say with their money, um, don't presume why they did it. Instead, if you have that type of relationship, ask them. Um, and if you don't have that type of relationship, assume the best, pray for them, and give it some time. When you do speak to someone about their financial decisions, make sure that your motivation is one of compassion and not disdain. So not, don't approach each other with, you know, how dare you do that or spend your money in that way? Aren't you a Christian? That's not the best approach to have a fruitful conversation with, with somebody. But we want to be patient, we want to be kind. Um, Galatians 6.1, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in gentleness, right? So some of us, I mean, we're different degrees of knowledge sort of in these, these different areas. If you're someone who is really good at making a budget, you stick to it, you have the conversation every week, and you see a brother or sister, and you see them struggling because of a lack of wisdom in this area, uh, be patient with them. Come alongside them. Give your gifts, resources, mind, experience to them to come alongside them and help them, okay? <clears throat> Um, but there is also the danger in this, which I sort of alluded to, is the danger of pride. Remember Matthew 6, 1, where Jesus says that our motive in giving should not be the praise of men. So focus, of course, is not just on um, how people view us and what they say about us and if they you know, think that we're these good people, but it's on, on Christ. So maybe your discussion of your budget begins with a discussion about people-pleasing. And we talked about that in our last series. Um, does people-pleasing influence and affect how we think about needing a budget or using a budget or the, or the conversation? 
or what we drive or what we spend or where we eat, um, those roots can subtly be underneath um, our motives when we think about how we spend our money. So just be on guard against that, pray against it with wisdom and the help of the scriptures. Um, so in closing, <clears throat> um, what does it look like uh, to have a positive perspective on this? Like so many other areas of our life together as a church, we love to see us learn and talk about specifics in our financial choices and our relationships with, with one another. So often, um, the moment someone says something specific or has a, a specific criticism about something that we're doing, we are quick to cry legalism um, and that you, you can't do that. But that's not at all how the Bible uses the term legalism. There is no reason why we cannot be highly specific in our encouragement and exhortation of one another and at the same time be overwhelmed by God's grace toward us. So we want to see each other grow in uh, maturity, grow in faithfulness, uh, grow in fighting against people pleasing and pride and self-centeredness. And we can do that in gentleness and patience and in love and even in conversations about budgeting. So in this sort of umbrella class of stewardship as we hit on these different topics of spending and giving and saving and the trade-off between time and money and all these other things, um, it's not meant for us to walk away um, and have an eye to one another with suspicion, but it's meant to come alongside us, me, you, come alongside one another in this conversation and look for scripture to be our guide in, in all of these things. All right, so I'll close out there. Um, well, let me pray for us, and then we'll go into the uh, fellowship or the uh, sanctuary. Uh, Lord, we give you thanks for your word. Um, we thank you that you haven't left us to ourselves, but you've given us um, wisdom from the word by the spirit. You've given us Christian fellowship and uh, wisdom in that and counsel in that. Um, we pray that you will continue to sharpen us, Lord, as we give thought to how to live wisely before you. Um, let us do this um, not with uh, the constant fear of um, legalism or the constant eye of judgment, but with uh, an eye to you, Lord, to be honoring and honorable before you and, and men and to come alongside one another in a way that is useful, that's helpful, that's uh, gentle, that's spiritual, um, as it influences what we do with our hands, with our money, with our time. And um, I pray that this class would, would, would be useful. I know it touches on a, a lot of uh, very practical areas of living, but um, we do uh, and are convicted that you are um, even those things, you, you are in those things and concerned about those things for our sake that we would give thought to them for your glory. So Lord, uh, bless us in these things. Uh, give us grace now as we go into the a corporate worship room to uh, offer unto you praise, thanksgiving, um, which is our duty as creatures. And may you bless us um, and feed us with all the means of grace and all the nourishment through those means of grace, which are given for our good and your glory. In Christ's name, amen. All right, you are dismissed.